Hello, Marvelites. This is This Week in Marvel, special edition. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M, Executive Editorial Director for Marvel's Digital Media Group, joined by... Stromy, Mark Strom, Marvel.com Assistant Editor. And today, for our guest, we have... Brad Winderbaum. Brad, what's your title? I'm the Director of Development at Marvel Studios. What does that mean? What does that mean? <laughs> that means? Uh, it means that we've got a library of you know, 8,000 plus characters that we can develop into feature films. And what I do is work with writers and look at the early, early stages of these characters and see what's there to be adapted into a movie. Okay. That's where you are now. How long have you been at Marvel now? All in four years, but it was over five, a five-year period. Okay. Where were you before Marvel and how did you get to Marvel? My first job working with Marvel, I wasn't officially a Marvel employee, was on Iron Man 1. I was Luis D. Esposito's assistant, oh. uh, which was it was you know the best job I ever had. He's you know remains the best boss in the world. I got brought on. I was working on a television show at, at ABC as a runner. I was bringing scripts around to people's houses and you know bringing people coffee and washing fruit in the kitchen and doing all that PA stuff. And it was a pilot that Favreau directed that got me the job in the production office for Iron Man 1. When I first started Iron Man 1, it was literally me, Favreau, Lewis, Favreau and Lewis's assistants, and an accountant. You know, Avi was still there, Kevin Feige was there, Jeremy Latcham I met there, and he was, when he was just had become a CE, and Stephen Broussard, who, who's, you know, producing Iron Man 3, he was there as, you know, as an assistant at the time. And it was fortunate that Lewis's assistant was leaving right before we went into pre-production on the first Iron Man film, so I was able to move right into that slot. And he asked me if I wanted the job, and, and of course I, I took it, and it's probably the best decision I ever made. What was an assistant to Louie? What was that job like? Because, I mean, I, you know, you could say assistant, but like I think that would be pretty freaking cool, and like the amount of stuff that you were able to do. You know, We had talked to Jeremy about some of the things that he did and how he got up, so I, I'm kind of curious how that was for you. Well, I mean, over that year, let's say, I mean, I got a master's degree in physical production. You know, Lewis is one of those mentors that really, you know, even as an assistant, you're setting meetings and you're doing a schedule and you're rolling calls and you're, you know, it's kind of a high energy position because of all the rigors you imagine would be on a giant movie like the first Iron Man and how many things, you know, Lewis is the executive producer of the film has to take care of. But he never, you know, it was never too much trouble. He was always eager to, to show me how the budget worked and how the scheduling worked. And Lewis's position, it's, you know, especially at that time, it was like 50% physical and 50% creative. Now he's probably even more creative now that he's a co-president of the studio. But it put me in rooms with, you know, the visual development meetings mm -hmm. with Favreau where they'd look at the suit designs and talk about how to adapt it and how to change it and how to bring it to the screen. And, you know, meetings with the production designers and the DPs and the writers, seeing how... In Favreau's vision becomes a movie, and you know it was really it was I was part of cinema history. And I look at that movie, and I remember being on all those sets, and you know the people that were around at that time. And you know it's, it's even more remarkable now being on the other side of Avengers that you know that I was able yeah. to be a part of that production. What was your favorite moment from that film? From like what you were seeing involved with all that stuff? The most fun I ever had. Well, there are two moments that really stick out to me. One was the shoot at Disney Concert Hall, which was the, you know, the, the fireman fun when he gets the photos of uh, Gomera and he has to, mm. before he goes back and suits up. And it was two overnight shoots, and we were literally, we, we were spent. Me and, and the other assistants were just, 
you know, we would just steal catnaps on the stairs of the concert hall <laughs> in between takes while the production was going on. And it was one of those moments where you're so delusional because you've been working so hard and so many hours, but you're having the time of your life and you're with really great people. And, and it, you know, it felt like this is why we do it. It's this. It's like you're living the, you know, the dream right now. Yeah. When we were shooting in Lone Pine, which is what doubled as Afghanistan in the first Iron Man, I didn't know it at the time, but I met my wife-to-be. She had come to set to visit a friend of hers, and I was running around with a laptop on one hand and a latte on the other. (laughs) And we didn't actually start to, you know, date until like six months later, because at the end, she claims that she had, you know, she was hitting on me the entire time, but I was so, <laughs> I was so involved in every, you know, A little detail. Right, exactly. <laughs> that, you know, <laughs> just went completely over my head. But yeah, those are the memories that stick out the most from that film. It's awesome. So you did that for a year, and then you went away, and then you came back, right? Yeah. So then how did the process of coming back go? What did you do once you came back? I came back in marketing. I came back as kind of a special content producer, interactive marketer. And I should, you know, I should talk a little bit how I, how I left. While I was Lewis's assistant, I was producing a web series that got a lot of sudden acclaim and got all these accolades and kind of opened up doors for me to start producing content on mm-hmm. my own. So I, I went and did that for about a year and then got a call from Jeremy saying, Hey, you know, we got this position. We'd love to have you back. It's producing content. You know, would you be into it? And I said, of course I'd be into it. Marvel had already started prep on Iron Man 2. And at that point, I started feeling like, you know, I was like, I was doing fun stuff. But I definitely was like, man, I, you know, I should be there. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, I got the call. And it was a no-brainer. So I came back and I started working on a lot of the interactive viral stuff for Iron Man 2. So uh, mm-hmm. we designed a whole campaign around the Stark Expo. So I shot John Slattery as Howard Stark in the, you know, Stark Expo 74 commercial and did kind of fake commercials, fake expo exhibit kind of, you know, pieces, as well as doing all the behind the scenes work on Iron Man 2. So all the special features on the Blu-ray and the big 90 minute documentary for for the Iron Man 2 Blu-ray where, you know, Favreau is just, he's so candid when he's interviewed that it's, you know, every time you get a camera on him, it's so insightful and you just learn all about the process. And we were able to really make something special. And that was a wonderful experience and led right into Captain America and Thor 2 the following year. I would say the biggest leap I made at Marvel was the 2010 Comic-Con. So Iron Man came out in 2010. Mm -hmm. Iron Man 2 came out in the summer Mm of 2010. Um, We were delivering all these materials and simultaneously we were planning Comic-Con 2010, which if you remember was our big Avengers reveal. Yeah. So two years before the Avengers came out in theater, we were going to march the whole cast on stage. And it was like a ballsy move. And also we had a... Our booth that year was Odin's Throne, yeah. which isn't like the most iconic... Like even the comics, when you think Odin's Throne... Now we have an idea of what it is because of the movie. It was such a big element to the movie and because it was our Comic-Con booth. But before that, there was definitely a sense of like, all right, well, is this cool? I mean, it's not like... You could say the Hall of Armor and everyone can think of like all these images from comic history of what the Hall of Armor looks like. But Odin's Throne, you're like, wait, okay, like, yeah, I guess I can, you know, I've seen it, I know I've seen it. <laughs> so we did Odin's Throne, it was a big hit. So between that and the big reveal on stage, it was kind of a massive undertaking. And that was really, I think, the turning point for me at the company in terms of showing that I can produce, uh, be trusted with larger projects. Yeah. And from there, 
I started developing the first two short films, the two Coulson shorts that mm-hmm. existed on the Thor and Captain America Blu-rays. Before we go to that stuff, how much did you guys all know that, okay, this is all starting to like really gel, this is all really coming together, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, at what point where, in, in your involvement, did you sort of see all this really, like, we were like, oh wait, this is actually happening, this is all a thing. Like, at what point did you see that? When I first came aboard, there was a timeline that was literally like six bullet points. It was like, you know, when did Howard Stark live? When did the Incredible Hulk happen in context to Iron Man 2? When did the events of Captain America, the Cosmic Cube, you know, element happen? And from there, I actually, one of the first things I did was start to build out the timeline based on things we knew from the Thor and Captain America drafts and from Iron Man 1 and Incredible Hulk and became kind of the de facto continuity manager for Kevin. And it was amazing. I mean, the minute we kind of put it on paper, it all started to to fit in lockstep. And that's when we had the idea of like, oh, this stuff happens on top of each other. Yeah. So Hulk is going to happen. Culver Universe is going to happen more or less simultaneously with Stark Expo. Mm -hmm. And we didn't know it at the time, but we kind of figured it out later when Coulson's involvement became one of the major elements of the Thor plot that the battle in Puente Antigua was going to happen again during Stark Expo. Once we put it down in a timeline form, we knew this was going to work. We were going to be able to have all these guys live and breathe in the same universe. And in some respects, it's actually a simpler timeline than you know the Marvel universe proper because there's only a small number of elements. Right now. Right now. Nah. But it's exponential. Yeah. You know, once you bring in one element, it butts up against the rest. Yeah. And we take it very seriously. You know, I think the minute we diverge from, you know, the continuity, it's no longer a universe. It's no longer a single coherent story. Yeah. So it was, you know, it was pretty clear and then it's just been a lot of fun and some arguments, but mostly just a great time, you know, building <laughs> this universe. The timeline, I think, is published in the Art yeah. of Avengers book. Yeah, it's awesome. It's gorgeous. We posted it on Marvel.com and it's it's really cool to see it. Yeah. And, like, and it's always so interesting because the fans are making their own timelines, like from, you know, Iron Man 2 and through Cap and Thor, like they started piecing everything together and theorizing how it all worked but I love that we've actually put a stamp on it and said no this is how it happened yeah. and knowing that you know we always had this in mind and like knowing how it all ties together and to me it makes it all that much cooler and that much more like impactful because it, it all ties together yeah we looked at the uh, the idea of like all these events happen at the same time leading to the events of the Avengers we named it Fury's Big Week and actually yeah. based a comic book on it yeah um, that was the Avengers prelude which is a lot of fun. And some of the, the fan, because we would look at the fan timelines, and because of the little Easter eggs we put in, people were able to decipher, for the most part, where things landed. Mm-hmm. If you look, there's a few linchpins. One is the footage of for the newscast from Culver University, the live newscast that's happening during the meeting of Tony Stark and Nick Fury at the end of Iron Man 2, yep. mm-hmm. and the timing of Coulson leaving Iron Man 2 and arriving in New Mexico. Yeah. Both those things, if you look at them in the greater timeline, are kind of the binding elements that show you that, yes, these things are happening right on top of each other. Kind of use those, you know, extrapolate those out from there. The other fun thing we did was we used Tony Stark saying, I am Iron Man, as like the definitive, like, point zero for the timeline. So everything in time, it's fictional time, is like in, you know, seconds, days, you know, years, millennia before or after Mm -hmm. that pinnacle moment. That's awesome. Now then, talk a little bit about the shorts and how you got involved with doing those more. 
Well, when I came back to the company, it was immediately something Kevin wanted to do. He wanted to do shorts. Uh, he wanted to figure out how to do it. Obviously, it's one of these things where, you know, we, we would love to do theatrical shorts, but it's an expensive proposition. There's a lot of people, you know, that we have to prove that it's profitable to. And what we were talking about, and I did a lot of research on it with Charlotte Coe, who was here at the time, we realized that it made more sense to release them on Blu-ray because home entertainment is trending away from physical media and more towards streaming and downloads. So there was a push to aid the falling sales of the physical discs. Mm-hmm. So we were like, we looked at the animation title, animated titles were releasing, you know, ancillary content that tied directly into the films. Mm-hmm. So like there's a Despicable Me short on the Despicable Me Blu-ray, et cetera. And obviously Pixar has been doing it for years. And they, Pixar, you know, in addition to their theatrically released shorts, you know, with Cars had like, you know, new shorts on their blu Especially when we become Disney and we start to see their research, it was proven that helps sales, mm-hmm. which is, you know, that's the green light here. So then we got to be creative. And we wanted to do two things with the original shorts. We wanted to give Coulson a hero moment on his way to the Avengers. So we had we had marched everyone out on stage in Comic-Con 2010. Everyone was a hero. You've seen them all kick ass in their various adventures. And Coulson, at that point, he kicks a little bit of ass in Thor, but really, you know, get, just gets blown up by the Destroyer. Mm-hmm. We wanted to show that, like, he was a hero, too. And he deserved to be on that stage, you know, like the rest of them. He might not, you know, have, have superpowers, but he's, you know, super fantastic and awesome. So that's when we wrote the convenience store short where he stops an armed robbery. A, a funny thing happened on the way of Thor's hammer. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> is a title that I absolutely love. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we, came, we came up with that title on a lark and put it in a list with a, bu- a bunch of other titles to be approved by Kevin, and that was the one he liked. That's he, awesome. He was drawn to. We put that Thor-themed short on the Captain America Blu-ray. On our way towards the Avengers, we wanted to keep reminding people, even in these little ways, that this is a larger universe and all these things are connected. And then on the Thor Blu-ray, we put The Consultant, which was, it was a way for us, by then we knew what we were going to do with the Avengers, and we knew that we had this airtight universe on our hands. We wanted to work this idea that General Ross was being consulted by the World Security Council to try to get Abomination on the team as one of the trials that Fury has to go through on his way to building the Avengers. But it never fit into the script and it never really felt like a coherent part of the movie so when we were talking about shorts you know it became very clear very fast that that was the forum in which to to sum up the general ross tony stark scene at the end of the incredible hulk Mm -hmm. and so you know if if you've seen the movie it's a sit well colson conversation about tony actually doing a consultant job and well i was just gonna say that's the first time that we really get to fully meet Sitwell, too, because he had sort of had, like, cameo bits before, but that was the first time we really got to meet him. Yeah. yeah. I stuck that. Yeah, he has a great little moment in Thor. He's got a lot more screen time in The Consultant, and then he's in The Avengers, and he's one of the stars of the short film on The Avengers Blu-ray, Item 47. Item 47 shorts really are kind of the culmination. I got to work with Lewis, who was my boss on Iron Man 1, as, as a director on that piece, and we had an incredible cast, and it's really really fun fun project. Yeah. Now, talk a little bit about how you're involved with the other stuff, like the behind-the-scenes stuff, because we were here looking at some really cool behind-the-scenes stuff a little while ago, and, you know, you showed us some stuff from the 
the Avengers box set. Like, what is your involvement with that stuff, and how, like, that seems just like an awesome job to have. Well, I mean, behind the scenes serves a lot of functions. It's EPK and marketing material before the movie comes out. It's sizzle reels and sales tools for, you know, people internally at Marvel who are, you know, partnering up with other companies. And my favorite use of the footage is proper behind the scenes, you know, features on Blu-ray or other home entertainment platforms. And the reason why I like those the most is because that's when you really get to pull the curtain back and see kind of the nuts and bolts of, of what goes into making these movies. You know, for marketing materials, you got to be really vague. You know, before the movie comes out, we wanted, we don't want it to look like a movie. We want it to look like real life. We want to believe a, a man in an iron suit can fly. But after you've seen the movie, you want to see how the heck did they get that guy to fly? So we, so it's a really fun part of the job putting those together. And, it, and we're putting, we we made a ninety-minute piece that tells the history of Marvel Studios and goes through all the films and it's a really, really fun piece and that's where you get kind of the meaty uh, behind the scenes of the Avengers. But basically, at the start of every production, we work exclusively with a company called M3 Creative and a producer named Brad Baru who I've been working with since Iron Man 2 and the guy gets great interviews from people. He gets the producers and the talent and everyone to really open up and go deep in these pieces. And he's got a team of camera ops that are, they're like ninjas. I mean, they are everywhere, in every corner of the production, covering everything, and, you know, but not in the way at all. They're like shadows. And it makes for really fun, really compelling material. And every so often, you you know, you get a director like a Favreau or a Joss that really open open up and, you know, are are happy to tell you what they're working on at every moment. And, And I think for a fan... You know, as a fan, it's the kind of stuff that I love watching. Yeah. And hopefully people like watching our stuff, too. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, Brad. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Yeah. Fun stuff. This is Marvel. Your universe. Your universe.